This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everyone, Kent Garrison here. I just wanted to let our Dallas area listeners know that we'll be doing a live podcast this Saturday at the Alamo Draft House in Richardson, Texas. We'll be giving you more details later this week, so just check the podcast feed uh, about Wednesday night, and we'll give you all the details. But what we know now is we'll be doing a live podcast after a screening of MacGruber. So get excited. If you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, come on out, hang out with us, and we'll see you Saturday. Let's start the show. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, the burping. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barton. And this is Mad About Movie. You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Mad About Movies is your go-to podcast for all things cinema. Every week, we talk movie news, rumors, and rumblings and break down a chosen movie of the week. But if you haven't seen it, don't worry, because we'll give you a spoiler alert. And stay tuned until the end for weekly recommends, which we suggest something you need to check out as soon as possible. And if you would like to keep the show going, you can do so by donating at our website, madaboutmoviespodcast.com. This week's movie of the week is what, Brian? This week we're going to be talking about HBO's The Jinx. Brian was pushing really, really hard for Insurgent. Yeah. Um, basically huge, blew up my huge phone. Huge fan. Shailene Woodley's my favorite. Five in the morning on a Saturday, he was calling me (laughs) um, because he was actually camping out overnight at the Insurgent premiere, wondering if we were going to actually podcast it. No. uh, You guys coming? Huh? Yeah, exactly. got your sleeping bags here. (laughs) Unfortunately, I was not going to see Divergent. Uh, You weren't going to make me research (laughs) Divergent and then uh, see Insurgent. So it just wasn't going to happen. I know we get some questions we have recently about how we pick our movies. And uh, really, it's just what we feel up to uh, at that point in time. And uh, in my opinion, it's more of what deserves a conversation rather yeah. than uh, what is the most popular movie uh, at that uh, given day. Yeah, we kind of start with here's the movie that's probably going to be the biggest at the box office. And if if that seems like something we can converse about or that isn't going to make us want to kill ourselves or something like that, then that's usually the pick. If there's – uh, if it's, you know, something like Insurgent that I've seen Divergent, it's not very good. I've read the books. They're very mediocre, but you guys haven't seen either or no. haven't read or seen the movie. No. And there was no point in, uh, in trying to catch you up. They're not, they're not good movies. Why are we going to have a conversation about that? The, the movies that we hate the most are the ones that are like C, C plus kind of movies because there's just nothing to say. We either want to praise something or we want to really dig into why something is bad. And those movies that kind of sit just on the fringe of they're not terrible, they're just kind of exist, those are the ones that we find hardest to to talk about. Yeah, and the last movie that that we reviewed that starred Shailene Woodley and Miles Teller, (laughs) one of our best episodes, in my opinion, (laughs) The Spectacular Now. Richard loved that movie. Don't forget The Cup. 
The cop was a crucial <laughs> yeah. member of that yeah. cast. He I did think have... he got a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> he did have a styrofoam <laughs> cup. Man, you are, you're, uh, you're correct about that. That's all I remember from that movie, too. Great performance out of that cup, too. Mm. Really, really. I believed it was a cup. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not easy. Yeah. Not easy. No. Rank your, your favorite cups all time in cinema. <laughs> That's got to be on the list. It's like... You know, the thing from Beauty and the Beast, yeah. a little Holy cup Grail. there. Yeah. Holy Grail and Miles Teller's styrofoam alky cup. <laughs> I don't know. There's some pretty pretty good coffee mugs out there, but I'll give <laughs> yeah, you the benefit true. of the doubt here. Yeah, what about well, uh, World's Best Boss for on uh, The Office? What do we do with that? It's up there. It's up there. I got a late show cup that has something to say about that, uh, Richard. <laughs> We don't really have any movie news, fellas, for this week. Uh, nothing really of interest that has to be talked about right this moment. Uh, but we do have a big, big uh, thank you to give yeah. to some listeners. Richard, if you could pull up the list of yeah of it. contributors, um, I want to just say a huge thank you to the people who have continued to donate to the cause on our website and, uh, and at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and, and donated cold hard cash to what we're doing here to keep the show going uh, once again we've said it before and we'll say it again right here uh, the show will always be free we'll never charge subscriptions or anything like that uh, for our normal podcast you know maybe we'll have premium content one day which are podcasts that we've recorded that uh, haven't been released which are plentiful at this point and uh, you know maybe sometime for premium members we'll release those to them but our normal weekly podcast will always be free but our goal really is to uh, is to just have the show pay for itself, and uh, you know that includes website fees, server fees, and of course movie tickets and screenings. So, uh, you know, the people who have donated so far have been fantastic, and uh, we've shouted most of you out already. But yet this week uh, comes another week of people that deserve a shout out who have who have donated in the uh, most recent past. So, Richard, if you could prep those names right now, that yeah. would be awesome. So sure, yeah. So we've got uh, some new, uh, some new. We didn't do this last week, so I think we have two weeks to catch up on, right, Ken? Right. Okay. So, uh, so we'll start kind of in order from from two weeks ago. So, uh, a huge fifty dollar donation from Adrian Sims. Boom, Adrian. Adrian, fifty dollars. So, uh, big shout to Adrian uh, for it. We are we are most grateful to you. We'll get you all set up. You are actually the one that recommended, uh, I believe, this week's episode. No, it wasn't you. So, you know what? Screw you. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, Adrian, thank you so much uh, for, for your donation. Then we have a donation of $25 from Tim Fisher's hot sister. Hey, Tim. Still don't have any picks, by the way. No Still picks right yet. Over. No picks of Tim Fisher's. Hopefully it's Amy Fisher. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Long Island Alita jokes. Haven't heard one of those. None of our audience knows who's that is, who that is. None. I'm surprised you oh. guys know. <laughs> Come on, man. Who doesn't know? And then we have another a fifteen dollar donation from Tim Erins. So Tim, big shout. Big uh, thank shout. you for the fifteen dollars. Tim A. So we got that. We have a ten dollar donation from Melissa Domico. Ten dollars. Thank you. Thank you. $25 donation, and I'm, I'm probably going to mess up this last name. Christoph Shurik. Oh, yeah. Uh, Shurik. Shurik. Yeah. He's a big emailer of the show and a good uh, friend. Always has interesting things to, to send away. I think he is the one that recommended uh, the episode this week. 
maybe not. So if it's not you, you know what? Screw you too. But uh, <laughs> and then and that and then we get to the the big the big Kahuna here, guys. And we, and we know we know that we we talked about this and we didn't think anyone would would go through with this, but someone has, and we're so excited. A big uh, big donation, our biggest yet, from Eric Bishop. So we are very eternally grateful to you, Eric. Two hundred and fifty dollar donation, baby. Yeah. Two hundred fifty dollars. That's freaking believable. Yeah, awesome. Really, really great. And uh, and so he gets uh, a few things. He gets obviously the shout out, which is worth more than gold. Um, <laughs> he gets to come on and do an episode. So Eric, we emailed you. If you haven't checked your email, uh, we'd love to hear what episode you would like to come on and review one of your favorite movies. That can be something that is out there or something that is forthcoming. Just let us know, uh, and we'll get that set up. You can come on and Skype in and talk about your favorite one of your favorite movies or most uh, anticipated movies and we'll uh, make fun of you ruthlessly so that sounds fair for 250 dollars uh no we would love to talk to you about a movie and uh and look forward obviously since you've given us money you're you're clearly brilliant and then uh you get a signed game used microphone that uh the three of us will sign at the mcgruber screening and uh and send out to you so that's worth i mean it, at least as much as the microphone is worth actually it's the microphone that started it all so a lot of yeah. history a lot of episodes recorded with the microphone yeah. it's a really cool display piece i'm not gonna lie richard actually has it on his shelf as a display piece yeah. as we speak really cool microphone we'll sign that for you and i'm gonna throw together a goodie box um yeah. for you eric it's gonna include copies of such great mad about movies classics such as now you see me, mm. McGruder, draft day, yeah, draft day, and yeah. uh, maybe another. Um, you know, we're gonna send a little care package to you, and uh, you a two hundred and fifty dollars care package. We're not very good at fine. We're not. There's a reason we're not. We don't have a financial advisor, so <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna send you two hundred and seventy-five dollars worth of uh, material. So we're, we're down. A PS4. Thirty for shipping. <laughs> yeah. Send you a PS4. <laughs> It's a write-off. Um, no, but we would love to send you a little something because that is that is too generous, and we feel silly uh, accepting that. But we do have a new announcement. Kent and I were talking this over. This is even new to Brian. Uh, what, what did we give away for a hundred bucks? You get, oh, you get to come you on, and, come on, and, and, and do review a, review a movie, right? It's for, for two hundred and fifty dollars. You get a another game used microphone. You guys still have an extra microphone, right? We're limited on these. Okay, game used microphone. I already uh, still find it the Smithsonian, though. So. <laughs> we'll get it back. A goodie basket from us, and you get to come on and review a movie. And for $500, Brian, you're going to like this. You get to come on and review, review a movie. Already get a game-used, autographed microphone. And you, yourself, with your picture, gets to be an American treasure. <gasps> wow. Wow. Yeah, shocking. Or, or anyone you choose. If you want to gift it, like you want your mom to be an American treasure, five hundred bucks. <laughs> and and there might be, and and we have means to do this. Uh, there might be a denim vest in it for you. Yeah, <laughs> monogrammed and everything. Yes, hundred percent. The five hundred dollar donation gets an American treasure and one of our signature American treasure denim vests, which we mail to all American treasure inductees. <laughs> So we, we've yet to it receive. Be, it might be Bill Cosby's though. Just, just that one. <laughs> he still hasn't sent it back. Brian Williams. <laughs> Brian Williams. But the cool thing is, is that it was used in combat. So <laughs> extra little, 
he's there. We don't know. We don't want to know where Bill Cosby's has been. So just keep it. <laughs> I'm still personally floored by Eric's donation. Mind blowing. Seriously, you're forever in the Mad About Movies Hall of Fame. Yeah, and we'll get a little Hall of Fame going of of donatees. On the Wherever we eventually. go from here, Eric, you you were the you were the patron saint of our uh, of our podcast here. Like that was an amazing thing. I I'm still kind of concerned that he's going to email us back and be like, uh, I thought I was donating money to the SBCA or yeah. to end apartheid or something like that. Still haven't confirmed whether he <laughs> intended on donating twenty five dollars <laughs> or two hundred fifty. Might yeah. have accidentally hit an extra zero there. So yeah. if it's twenty five, now we've guilted him into it. We've got to keep it. Sorry, twenty five. Hit us up and we'll we'll get yeah like, get your money right back. Not, Minus not really. some service charges. Right, exactly. <laughs> no, but thank you, everyone. Yeah, thank you, huge thank you uh, to the people who donated and um, the people who have left reviews. I noticed we've gotten a ton of iTunes reviews in the past week. We'll shout those out at a later date, but keep those coming. You've done a fantastic job, listeners, chiming in and uh, giving us your support. So thank you. And uh, we'll see you this Saturday at the Alamo Draft House, and we'll yeah. celebrate. How about that? Hey, one more thing on this, okay? Uh, because it's been a while. On our top 10 movies of all time episode, uh, we told people to um, send us their top 10 movies of all time, listeners. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and we get those still periodically when people go back and listen to that episode but we love reading those and like engaging with you on those so uh, always feel free to email us your top 10 films of all time at madaboutmoviespodcast at gmail.com we love hearing about those exactly yeah we need to do a listener focused top 10 movies uh, episode sometime and just discuss the movies that people have submitted that would be a great idea for a throwback week it would. Uh, we'll have to work that in uh, but no movie news, rumors, rumblings this week, guys. Like I said, not much. I can't wait until next week's podcast or the week after the MacGruber-thon. But, um, <laughs> it's like Normathon, 24 hours. Exactly. But uh, without further ado, guys, let's discuss the jinx. We'll start off just by giving general thoughts on this series and um, I might have to go ahead and say spoiler alert uh, yeah, fairly fairly early in this episode we'll save it for after general thoughts but immediately after general thoughts we're probably going to go into more spoilery stuff but please check out the Jinx on HBO HBO Go uh, I know most of you have friends that have HBO that'll let you <laughs> borrow a, a user login or something like that just so you can watch this series um, and you know I don't condone this at all but I will fully support pirating this series <laughs> and listening to our podcast on it because high praise. I mean, it is—it's seriously worth uh, going uh, to prison for for the rest of your life, <laughs> and uh, I can honestly say that. But and yeah. you know what? Now we know you'll have a helmet. <laughs> uh, spoil God! I said we were saving spoilers, Richard. <laughs> no, but seriously, this is going to be one that's hard to talk about without spoilers. So again, early spoiler warning. Uh, right now for the Jinx. I will just say, man, I was I was pretty into the serial podcast this past yeah. summer, and I honestly thought that as far as serialized uh, telling a crime story, that was going to be about as good as we got for the uh, foreseeable future. But man, did the Jinx just one up it <laughs> like like no tomorrow? Should the- we hey Kit? Should we give kind of a, a synopsis of? 
beyond general thoughts, just this is a little bit different from our average movie of the week. Should we just kind of because I, I know there's a lot of people that really may not even know what sure. we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, good idea. <clears throat> um, so The Jinx is basically a documentary, uh, serialized documentary series on HBO. It's six episodes long, and it really tells the story of Robert Durst. And uh, Robert Durst came from a wealthy family in New York. And and his parents and fa- <laughs> yeah his parents and family uh, are huge real estate developers and investors in New York. Uh, it's said throughout the series that they're in the top five wealthiest real estate developers in Manhattan. And when you think about it and think about the number of buildings in Manhattan, it's quite staggering that uh, he would be in the top five. So let's just say money has never been a problem for Robert Durst and his family. And so. Uh, basically, he's gotten mixed up in a lot of bad stuff throughout his life. Didn't come from the absolute best family situation, I guess you could say. And uh, we'll go into more details about that. But gotten mixed up with a few uh, murders. Uh, has been a suspect in three separate murder incidents uh, throughout his life. And basically, the jinx is Robert Durst's attempt to come clean, or not about the murders, but to... Clear, his, clear name. his name. Yeah, to clear his name. Andrew Jarecki is the director, and um, all things. What? What is it? All good things. Yeah, he directed all good things back uh, a few years ago, and and Robert have Durst. You seen that? I no, have not. no. Mm-hmm. I have actually. So it's it'll be interesting to discuss later. Yeah, I just want to ask. Haven't haven't okay. haven't gotten a chance yet. But uh, it turns out Robert Durst actually got in touch with Andrew Jarecki. And uh, and his crew and wanted this to happen, this series to happen. Um, he wanted his story to be told uh, under his perspective, and uh, like we said, to clear his own name. And without getting into spoilers, it uh, doesn't really go according to his plan. I don't think uh, when it's all said and done. Not to say the people that are listening to this haven't heard the news over the past week. It's been just about everywhere. Uh, what Robert Durst's current situation is, but so that's sort of the synopsis is uh, tells the story of of his life, his family life, uh, these three separate incidents, and uh, you know whether he is uh, guilty or not guilty in each uh, of these three separate incidents. And once again, it's six episodes. Uh, each episode is less than an hour long. One of them's only like thirty eight minutes long or something like that. So easily bingeable in a weekend or a couple of days uh, if you're into it. But once again, like I said, it's it's worth it's worth your time. Yeah. So I want to get my general thoughts, and and they are, man, I was just completely enthralled in this. Uh, I love true crime stories. You know, I I kept up to date with like things like Twenty Twenty and Dateline. Whenever they do these true crime stories on Friday and Saturday nights, I I really really enjoy them. But this just took it to a whole nother level. Uh, mainly production value wise, I was just completely floored with the reenactments and the cinematography and and um, special effects and music and pretty much every aspect of this was uh, far superior to any other true true crime story, uh, you know, investigation discovery story, uh, the first forty eight or something that you would see on every any average cable channel. It really takes it to another level, and the fact that they're kind of filming this as it goes, uh, they don't really know how it's going to end. <laughs> While they're filming it is also very interesting. So you really get a sense that this is unfolding before their very eyes. And uh, I personally didn't know about Robert Durst before this show. I uh, wasn't familiar with his story. You know, apparently it was a very big story. 
in the early 2000s, you know, they spoofed it on Saturday Night Live and everything, uh, The Daily Show. And so if it goes that far, it's probably a pretty big interest story from a from a nationwide perspective. But wasn't very familiar with it. But man, was I interested in this show and and finding out this guy's story. So those are my general thoughts. You know, it's hard to talk about once again without going into spoilers. But man, love is love the jinx and the way it ends is just fantastic. And uh, of course, we'll go into plenty of those details. So Brian, what are your general thoughts on the jinx? I'm with you, Ken. I love this kind of thing. Um, I, I Serial was just such a cool, it was such a cultural phenomenon and it was really, really enjoyable. And uh, I came to it late. So I got to listen to almost the entire thing before it ended, which was really good too. Cause I think it would have killed me a little bit waiting week to week. And so that was kind of tough. Uh, but you're right. Like this, this just blows cereal out of the water and cereal is doing a different thing. So it's, it's not really quite, it's not, an, I, I'll say this, it's not an affront to cereal to say that the jinx is just such a, so much better. Um, but this is, it's so enthralling. And I was locked in after about 10 minutes of the first episode. Yeah. And, and that's like the worst 10 minutes of the whole thing, you know, right? it gets so much better as it goes. And the last, the last three episodes are some of the more gripping television I've, I've ever, I've ever watched. Like there are, there are many, many movies and TV shows out there that are dramas, that are thrillers, that are whatever, that are trying to accomplish what the jinx accomplished in a documentary. And that's just such a, that's such a rare feat, I think. So I was, I was just totally mesmerized. I watched the whole thing twice, actually. Same. Uh, yeah. Cause I thought we, we kind of talked about, we might record earlier in the week. And so I blew through it. And then my wife, my wife was out of town for a couple of days and she came back and she wanted to watch it too. So we, we, our Saturday night was just watching the jinx over. And it was, I'll say this, watching it twice, um, I caught more the second time around. I just got to watch him because I already knew what was going to happen, obviously. And it was kind of haunting. Like I, I'm not somebody who watches too. There's not much out there that will, that, that scares me or keeps me up at night or something like that. I was unsettled the second time around more so than the <laughs> first. And I, I had a little bit of issue uh, going back to sleep because it was just such a creepy thing. And obviously we'll get into specifics on that, but uh, I would encourage you if you have not if you have not seen the Jinx, uh, find a way. You, most you, most cable providers, if you call them and and uh, you know complain about your bill, they'll give you three months of free HBO. So try <laughs> do something. Uh, get HBO. Good call. It, it, Good call. It, it yeah. takes each episode is like forty to forty five minutes long. It, it's it's such a quick viewing. And, and do do yourself a favor as well, and don't. Don't look up anything about this show. Don't don't Google the names. Don't look in the backstory. Any of that stuff. Just uh, if you haven't turn seen this it, off. Turn, turn this off, off and uh, and go. Just just figure out a way to get a hold of it and, and watch it because it's. Uh, I don't know that you're gonna get another thing like this. Like this is such a a, a unique experience. I think. Yeah, Richard. Yeah. So I just finished it about uh, an hour or two ago. Wow. Yeah. So. Uh, it was. I'm. I'm fresh to it, so I'm still in the creep out mode. I knew the story. I'd seen the Gosling movie, and I'd seen some uh, some buzz around it for uh, a couple years. But you know, kind of like the Dupont thing with with Foxcatcher. You know, knew of it, but had never really done like a Wikipedia deep dive or anything. Um, I don't even think I've seen all of the Gosling movie. I think I came across it, and 
you know, watched 40 minutes of it or something. So, uh, that's kind of my, my history with, with the case or cases, I should say. I am not a big true guy, crime guy. I like serial a lot. I like serial mostly because I like radio and I like to, mm-hmm. I like that it sort of brought back the theater of the mind or whatever. Uh, and so I didn't really care about the true crime of it. This does compare favorably to, uh, to serial in that, you know, we won't say what it is, but the, the, this has a resolution where a serial, you know, double spoiler here, uh, <laughs> uh, in fact, doesn't. That's a, you know, even though it's an unsettling conclusion and not completely finalized, it's it's still something, right? And so that that that's something that's really has something. This really has that going for it. You're right, Kent. the The dramatizations are pretty. They're the best I've ever seen. I think mm. I, I can't think of anything that had better dramatization except for. Uh, you know, obviously every every lifetime. No rescue uh, nine one one. Rescue nine one one. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but uh, so that was all fantastic production values, great, and the fact that I enjoyed this as much as I did. Where I, you know, I've seen a ton of twenty twenty things with with people that are into that. You know, in my life throughout. You know, whether it's moms or girlfriends or whatever, uh, I'll, I'll sit through one. But it's like. Not, I've never really enjoyed it, but this I really kind of did. I think, and I think it's because of how well the narrative is told. And uh, I wasn't really, you know, glancing at my watch constantly or anything like that. So it, it was. It almost seems too good to be true in terms of the convenience of some things, but I don't. I don't think it is. I think it's just one of those really lucky, kind of beautiful strokes of artistic luck. It really raises so many questions, and that's that's really what I. I like most about it is that it has sparred such a wide array of conversation in all aspects of of what we do, whether it's podcasting or or TV or you know blogging or whatever. Everyone seems to be chiming in on on the jinx, and you know, for an HBO show, we've seen True Detective in the past year, or uh, Game of Thrones, or maybe even uh, Girls at one point that have had their day. But uh, the fact that this is based on reality and that that America and the world is seeing these events still unfold before our very eyes is uh, quite jarring and it's incredible to experience. I will say that uh, firsthand. And I guess we can go into uh, specifics of these episodes. I've got um, – I, like you, Brian, I, uh, I watched it twice. The first time I just kind of sat back and kind of let it hit me. And the second time, I watched it more closely. I took notes on it, uh, things that stuck out to me as uh, things that if I was the the law enforcement, the authorities, that I would be looking into from day one, uh, things that obviously spell guilt or non-guilt. And uh, so I want to go over some of these things. I don't know if you've uh, you've kept a logbook like I have on this, but I want to sort Detective of start – Detective Kent. I, it's on the case. It's not, it's not as near, nearly as uh, <laughs> detailed as you would you would imagine from me, as you would expect from a Kent Garrison production. <laughs> I want to go through this uh, episode by episode and start really from the beginning of this story. And episode one is called "Body in the Bay," and I don't know if this is what sparred uh, Jarecki's media interest in the story. Uh, I understand. He was first interested in the uh, disappearance of Robert Durst's wife, Catherine Durst, back in 1982. 
And uh, the disappearance of this man, Morris Black, whose body was found in the bay uh, in the 2000s, or in 2001, I believe, yeah, is just, uh, I guess, the most recent relative event in, in, uh, in Robert Durst's life. So uh, we start off with a body being found in Galveston Bay. This body was dismembered, chopped into uh, several different pieces, and uh, found by a young fisherman boy, uh, you know, a young kid out fishing one uh, one weekend, and stumbled upon all of these body parts in separate bags, mind you, all at once. So, and, Timmy, how was your fishing trip? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I found a, a dead body. Uh, it's not uncommon here in Dallas either. We should say um, <laughs> this is a common occurrence if you live in Texas. Yeah, um, Trinity. Exactly. It's called Trinity fishing right there. That's good times. So he dumps this body in the bay of of, of Morris Black, and the identity is is found uh, through fingerprints. But part of what is found in one of the bags, I guess he wrapped the body in newspaper, uh, was the address twenty two thirteen Avenue K, which was an, an ad- a newspaper address to Robert Durst's house, and. You know, first inclination, first thought is how can you be that stupid unless you're trying to get caught? Is that what you thought? I just thought that was – I mean how could you first of all put a body – chop up a body, put it in garbage bags, not weight the garbage bags at all, like put yeah. cement blocks in them or anything and just chunk them in a river but have a piece of paper in the bag with your address on it? Yeah. He thought it was going to sink and when it didn't, he did not – <laughs> he did not game plan oh, well. appropriately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did. He did the one thing. Are we in spoiler territory at this point? We are Can in. We, sp- we are okay. now in spoilers. Yes, spoilers. So he removed when it, when the bags wouldn't sink. He removed the head. He was smart enough to realize that that a. It will be e- more I- easily identifiable if you if you can. This is so grisly, but if you can see the head. <laughs> but moreover, and I think this plays a bigger part later. Without the head, the, the prosecutors could not say definitively how he had been murdered. Like because of the self-defense claim that he's able to make because they can't say, you know, he got shot in the back of the head. You executed him or whatever. That was a big part of why he was able to get off. It, and I'll say this, like I, there's so many <laughs> – there's so many times where he is – where Durst is really smart and then he does something stupid like leave a magazine with his address in it, in yeah. a bag with yeah. a cut-up body. Like it's such a weird – and there's so many weird things about this dude and this whole case. But that's one of the things that really stuck out to me is like how can you be this smart but this stupid at the same time? I want to actually ask you before we go on, maybe this is your other episodes, but what did you find smart about – Mr. Durst. I didn't find much, much smart about him other than the fact that uh, he's handled his money well, I guess, or it seems to have an unlimited supply of money, mm-hmm. or the fact that he's been able to convince so many people of his innocence for so long. Yeah, well, that's part of it. I he's mean, deceptive, very deceptive, I He's believe. very deceptive, and he's very good at that. And I don't know if that necessarily makes him smart or not, but it's... It's definitely a skill, <laughs> and he's very, very good at it. And and that goes down to things like again, like removing the head from the bags. That's that's a that's honestly that's a really smart move because it made it much. That may have ended up being the thing that got him off on that trial, uh, because the 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 prosecution cannot say, "Dude, you murdered him." That was 
that's really smart. The the stuff with his with his uh, wife, just off the cuff, telling her, "Yeah, I called her. I talked to her, and yeah, I went next door and I had a drink." Like all these little things that there's a lot of it that's that's bad, bad, bad police work. Uh, but, but he also was smart enough to know that he was not a suspect at that point and anything he could do to ease them into a, in another direction was going to work in his favor. And it did perfectly. I mean, he was never even really looked at for the murder of his wife, even though that's, you know, any detective will tell you that's, that's the first person you look at an event of a or a disappearance or something you look at the spouse and, and that that never seemed to even be a part of the investigation and a, i think a part of it was uh, he threw them off the scent so quickly that they never really questioned what his motives might have been now again that's terrible police work but uh he he got off on that by kind of outsmarting or or at least quick thinking i guess yeah, uh, another aspect of what it was revealed in in episode one, the fact that he had gone by these multiple identities, mm-hmm. um, Dorothy Siner, Emilio Vigioni, Diane Wynn, Jim Tross, Maury Block, kind of uh, very similar to a Morris Black, you know, obviously hiding from something. And he says later in the series that I'm, I just didn't want to be Robert Durst anymore. Mm-hmm. I just don't buy that on so many levels, the fact that he just didn't want to be Robert Durst. He didn't want to be associated with the Durst family because, um, or biscuit or Fred Durst. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he, he did go on the run in about 2000. So. <laughs> yeah, I was going to get to that. I think it all pieces together. You heard Nookie was like, um, I'm going on the lamb. Chocolate starfish it. just really pushed him <laughs> over the top. Just, Keep rolling, 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 baby. Uh, but, I mean, he's obviously has something to hide here. And once again, he was going, he was dressing as a woman and uh, going by all these alternate egos before the murder of Morris Black. And so it says something to me about his guilt in previous altercations or in previous cases. The fact that he's willing to drop everything and move into a small apartment in. Uh, Galveston, Texas. Yeah. So uh, that's that's suspicious to me. It ends up the Morris Black murder happens. He is wanted for murder due to the uh, his address being found in the uh, in the bags that um, Morris Black's body was found in, and ends up being arrested for shoplifting a hoagie <laughs> while he had fi- why exactly <laughs> who hasn't while he had five thousand dollars in his pocket and $37,000 in cash in his car at the time. So once again, Brian, I emphasize yeah. how stupid can you be, honestly? Yeah. Um, I, I just, think he wanted to get caught at that point. I, I really do. I think he was tired of being on the run. Not to summarize this entire podcast, but I just think he loves being arrested and the whole process of having to explain himself out of stuff and prove yeah. he's innocent. I just think there's some deep satisfaction in his soul that really, really likes being like murdering somebody or committing crimes and then being able to explain himself out of it and go yeah. about his life. Like there's some sick, twisted part of his personality that I don't understand. I totally agree. It's it's quite uh, quite disturbing. Episode two is called 
poor little rich boy. And this goes more into uh, depth about his past, his family life. Um, his mom committed suicide when he was very young. So that led to a little bit uh, of his depression, I guess you could say. Yeah, I I think that I would if I was a psychologist, I would I would have some theories about how where that put him from at a mental standpoint for the rest of his existence. We uh, get more info about his wife Kathy Durst and how Kathy Durst was from a average American family. And how when Robert Durst associated with Kathy Durst, he was always uh, associating with an average American family, which in my opinion, he didn't feel like he wanted to be a part of one. Uh, He makes it very clear uh, that he doesn't want to have kids with Kathy. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's explained loosely, but that she became pregnant and he didn't want her to be pregnant, but she wasn't going to refuse the uh, pregnancy. And, you know, all of a sudden she disappears forever. And uh, a note is found in, I guess, in his residence uh, that has a list of things such as a dump, a boat, a bridge, a shovel, dig, tow, and things such as that. And a an authority figure or a uh, a police officer comes on screen during this episode and says, well, it was winter, so... Wasn't going to be able to dig a hole. It like completely dismisses the entire list because of the fact that there was frost on the ground and that it was, it's hard to dig a hole with frost. Like Robert Durst was thinking that or something, you know, like when you're, when you murder somebody, I mean, I've done it a few times. <laughs> when you murder somebody, uh, digging a hole is one of the first things you'll think of. Brian, did you hear that? Did he so, just confess yeah. accidentally? Yeah, he it's okay. We got him. Flugelhorn, Flugelhorn, now the cops busted. I'm on parole, it's all good. Uh, Don't worry about me. His former bandmates, all, all of them. And, you know, it's just very suspicious that that list was found, and they completely wrote him off there. Don't understand that at all, how you can not think of him as a suspect after that. And the fact that um, he was married to her, but she just disappeared, and he goes on in that episode... Or uh, the episode later, and he's asked, um, is she dead? And Durst says, it's possible that she's alive. Not likely. I think that she's most definitely dead, but I don't know that for sure. Like, if your wife disappears, you're going to have your last breath say that she's still alive. I would think. If you truly were in love with her and she truly disappeared, not on your terms. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, there are people that have missing children for... Uh, 20 years that still tell themselves, nope, he's alive somewhere. Oh, we'll find him someday. But the fact that he just completely dismisses her existence at all is uh, is troubling as well. So what did you think about the, I guess, Kathy Durst disappearance? Uh, did you th- Do you think that Robert Durst killed Kathy Durst? Richard? Yes. <laughs> For any reason? Because I think he's killed other people, and he was pretty closely tied. And I think you have—I think you're absolutely right with the motive of the uh, of her getting uh, pregnant. Yep. No, I, I think that's open and shut case. This is yep. why I'd be a terrible, you know, like uh, person in, in criminal justice because uh, I'm either, you know, I make my guilty and innocent decisions in the matter of, of milliseconds. <laughs> right, and you know, the police wrote it off. In this episode, by saying that there's no corpse, no crime scene, this is a missing person's case. 
And I just don't buy that because you can murder somebody in the wilderness or in the woods or somewhere that's not like at your house where a crime scene can be roped off and, and uh, evidenced by police, you know. Uh, there are ways to get around, I guess, leaving a bunch of evidence behind. And obviously, Durst showed lack of ability with that with the Morris Black murder. But I just think that maybe it was a murder that was so clever and you know I'm getting giving him credit here that honestly he just got away with it and that's yeah. that's sad to think you know that people can just get away with murder but uh he's proven multiple t- he's proven multiple times in this series that you can it can be done and you can go to to court and go through the uh um justice system judicial system and still get away with murder yeah. Um, well, so. especially at the time, 1982, right. when when he walks into the police department and says, look, it has not been a happy marriage for, for quite a while. Uh, it, I think it's part of the times of, well, this woman probably just ran away from her abusive husband. And that's that's where we stop. And, right. <laughs> oh, he told us that he called her and she checked in and the doorman saw her and later he was having a drink with the friend. OK, well, I'll take his word for it. You know, uh, it, it's not good police work. Uh, at all <laughs> right we move on to episode three the gangster's daughter and this is uh details the Suman, susan berman murder wow <laughs> and this, this is uh this is crazy yeah i think this is where the, that episode is where things really start to take off like you really start to see some of the psychosis of this dude and and it just that story just goes to a whole nother level when they bring this stuff into it so the official story behind it is Janine Pirro uh, is the district attorney in New York, and she decides it upon herself that she's going to reopen the case against Robert Durst and the disappearance of Kathy Durst because pretty much everyone in New York, anyone that knew Robert Durst or knew the situation, thought and knew that uh, that Robert Durst murdered his wife. Yeah. Uh, but there was no trial. There was uh, – it was basically just, well, she's gone. She's missing person. Hope we find her someday. End of story. Uh, apparently, Susan Berman knew the story, and so Robert Durst eliminated her yeah. because she knew uh, that he had murdered her. So not, not very smart to eliminate the only other person that knows. You're your close friend, and uh, you know if you're wanted for murder or people think you've murdered somebody, probably not a good idea to murder somebody else. And <laughs> She's not or gonna, is it? Or is it? Yeah. I mean, it's worked out so far. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, but uh, evidence against this was a note left uh, for police uh, that was addressed uh, to the Beverly Hills Police with Beverly spelled incorrectly in block letters. And inside the letter wrote 1527 Benedict Canyon and the word cadaver. We can talk creepy, about this now. But creepy even to talk about. Creepy even to talk about. But the police uh, wrote it off by saying, well, obviously this is somebody that's in the medical profession because nobody knows the word cadaver except for people in the medical profession. Um, Wouldn't you think that somebody who's murdered somebody and didn't want to be found out would use terminology that they wouldn't normally use? In in your opinion, wouldn't – doesn't that seem like if you were to step into the shoes of somebody who had wrote a ransom note, you would try and disguise your language at least a bit? Yeah, maybe so. And and to give the the officers credit there as opposed to uh, the New York detectives that they quickly identified that this is that 
that this is somebody who is close to the victim. That was a that was an immediate okay. That somebody close to this person killed her, and whether it's the, the medical thing, I think maybe th- maybe possibly threw them off a little bit. But I think I think those guys did a really good job of trying to make their case. I think they suspected. I think you you could gather that from the interviews with the detectives and whatnot. But that they were pretty that beyond the mob connection. I think there was a lot of speculation that Durst was the guy who killed her, but they just couldn't make the case fit together, which is kind of sucks for everybody involved. Yeah, and it's it's sad to think that they didn't look into all the evidence that they had mm-hmm. uh, at their disposal, and we'll talk about that towards the end of of these episodes. But we move on to the or the state of Texas versus Robert Durst. And this is Woo, when we that's get us, the Texas. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually this is when we actually get the trial. Of the Morris Black case, yeah, and this was the most fascinating episode in my opinion. Just the a lot of the raw footage of the case was used of the courtroom trial, and uh, just in a fascinating watch on all levels. The defense attorney really tried to push Robert Durst as a good guy, and he says things like Bob has feelings. Uh, he had these pictures of him and his wife in his wallet when he was arrested, and uh, you know. Nobody who's ever murdered somebody has had pictures in their wallet. I mean, that's basically what he was saying. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't, well, I don't understand statistic. how. I, yeah, I just don't understand how that was. Man, that made a case for that. I think the best thing, the smartest thing that that Durst ever did was was hiring that defense team because I, I thought they did an amazing job. Like they threw off the the prosecution so hard. Uh, by calling him first to the stand, that was such. I think that was a shocking move, a shocking revelation. They, if I'm just gonna say, if if I'm ever accused of murder, probably one of you two. Well, let's be honest, but <laughs> uh, if I'm ever accused of murder, I want to hire those guys. Like they, I thought they did an amazing job of humanizing him just enough without going over the over the top on that, and just bringing a strategy to the table that the the prosecution could not could not match. Now the flip side of that is I don't think the prosecution did a good job at all. I think they thought they had an open and shut case and they went in uh, they're you know just a sports analogy that that reeked of a one seed taking on a a 16 seed and then just getting shocked by by right. uh an upset like that cuz I don't think they they did not come off to me in either the the current interviews or in the courtroom footage, uh, like they knew what they were doing. We went into gruesome details of the murder of Morris Black and the dismemberment of Morris Black and the disassembling of the the uh, body of Morris Black. I just couldn't fathom why you would dismember and chop somebody up that you didn't kill purposefully. That's That's where I couldn't get my head around around the jury's decision uh, towards the end. Uh, you know, somebody accidentally shoots themselves, would you not just call the cops and be like, hey man, this guy accidentally shot himself. Why would you take it upon yourself to cut him up and hide the body uh, if you weren't guilty of the, the crime at hand? Do Did you feel that way? Uh, I mean, I feel that way, but I thought that the defense did did a fantastic job of making the district attorney in uh in new york the uh what's her piro janine piro i think yeah they did a fantastic job of making her out to be a villain that was 
that was pursuing him for something he had not done and had never even been charged with and uh, made him out to be a victim. And and let's be honest, like we're from Texas. We know that not everybody in Texas is a big hick, but there's plenty of down-home folk, especially if you're in the Galveston area, that I think I would be – I feel like you could – push them to uh, push them to to not trust the big mouth Yankee, you know, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And to to make them I mean, they did a great job of making Durst out to be the victim on that. And, you know, he's just look, guys, he's just terrified that this this angry Yankee is going to take his freedom because that's her main goal in life is to pursue him and and take him down. And uh well, I'm not saying I would vote that way. I, I don't think I would have, but uh, but I've also have you have either of you guys ever been on a jury? Because it's the uh, worst. No, no, <laughs> no I, I, I almost got picked for one, but I actually had a flight booked for the next day, so I got out of it. But gosh, uh, I no. have been, and it was just a traffic, like a you know a three car pileup sort of thing, and it was the worst. It was the worst two days of my life because everyone in the room uh, is an idiot, to be honest. Like it was, <laughs> y- you have a. You have a system where there are at least half the jury is going to be people who never in their daily lives have a platform to talk. And they get in a room and they have this power and suddenly they start talking. And you're, you know, the case that I was on was the most, you know, just open and shut. There's no one at fault here. This woman is crazy. She, this older woman that I was that, that was the uh, the plaintiff fired her her attorney uh, during the trial and uh, and represented herself. She's like a seventy year old woman who barely speaks English. And to give you an example, like she could not understand. There was a there was a uh, a paralegal who was up on the stand at one point just reading an affidavit from one of the police officers that was on the scene of this accident. <laughs> And she could not understand that that was not the police officer and that she could not ask questions that were not directly written out in the affidavit. Like the, the yeah. judge had to stop her over and over and over again. It was such an open and shut case. And we deliberated for six hours. It oh was the most – I was just banging my head against the wall. It was the worst experience ever. And that's that's what you get when you go to a, tr- a jury of your peers. You get this weird collection of people, many of whom – really don't have anything better to do today and it's the same people that uh are like focus groups for tv shows yes totally yeah that's unbelievable and you know crafted a society in which we give all these people the power yes great job us (laughs) yeah and you know this like i said this this tv series brings about so many questions and one of the main questions is are we even doing this right? Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. honestly, what the heck are we even doing yeah. where this can white, happen? You have to really try to get convicted. Like you have to, if, yeah. if you're like white and affluent, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's almost like a game. I feel like this guy, like he tried so hard to get convicted or, or caught. And they're like, no, I mean, he's a rich white guy. He's good. Obviously. Yeah. Exactly. He's he had pictures in his wallet when he was arrested, guys. What do you yeah. Uh, I mean, it just – you literally commit murder and you don't get convicted. I mean it's just – it's its unbelievable to think that, that that happened. I mean just the look on his face when 
when they pronounce him not guilty in that episode of the murder of Morris Black, uh, his face just screams guilt. And, you know, they, it said in the episode that never more than three jurors found him guilty at any point during the trial. And I just don't know how that's possible considering he dismembered the body and went into to hiding and all this crap. Like, literally no no evidence suggested that he was telling the truth whatsoever other other than the fact that they heard him talk and a, a lady said you know when he was up there on this witness stand i thought he was speaking from the heart like yeah. just completely ignored all the evidence yeah. against him and just said well, he seemed like a really good guy so there's no way partly, he could murder that's somebody that's partly on the prosecution because yeah. they did not bring any charges beyond Hey, we look. We we saw one episode of footage, so who knows all the? I mean, I haven't dug in and researched right. every single thing that happened, but uh, it didn't seem like they brought any other charges to the table. And that, I mean, I think the guy's name's Chip Lewis, is the the younger defense attorney. Uh, <laughs> when he when he did the closing arguments and, and said, "Look, they only the only charge here is murder," so. Yeah. We have we have proven to their minds at least we've proven he didn't murder anybody that it was an accident that he was fighting for his life that this person was in his house which you know in Texas even Durst said like you can pretty much do whatever you want if somebody's in your house and they're not supposed to be uh I I just think it was a bang up job by the by the defense and a just a really lazy uh uninspired effort by the by the prosecution yeah, and the fact that you know he said he shot at the eviction notice, but there's no bullet hole. Yeah, um, I mean, almost everything that he argued was proven not true mm-hmm. by the uh, by the prosecutor, and still not guilty. I just and there was no head, you know, like the yep. fact that the head he got rid of the head is the most obvious part of this whole thing. <laughs> like, why would you have gotten rid of the head if you didn't shoot him in the head? on purpose, you know, like we're show us the head and then we'll, we can move on, you know, if he, in fact, uh, if it was an accident, but, uh, just incredible, um, that he was found not guilty and just made me question a lot of things, but we move on. We digress to later in the series, another episode called family values. This episode goes more into hey. the <laughs> they <laughs> Moreland they biscuit missed. reference. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Jeez. Sorry. Best tour ever. <laughs> Corn and Limp Biscuit, Kid Rock. Our, our millennials remember. Gosh. That is, that is pretty weird. Yeah. That is last day. Yeah, that's a little. Yeah. Turns out Andrew Jarecki is just a huge Limp Biscuit fan. <laughs> Who is it? Yeah, exactly. Who is it? Remember when just, Fred Durst wanted to be a movie director? We haven't done any of his films yet on the show, but we will. He's still he's still working it up, working his way up. He's in the independent. <laughs> If if you're in independent cinema, you know Fred Durst has made some great films. Yeah, with his backwards red Yankees hat and his little lens scope around his neck. The Family Values episode goes more into the family aspect of his life, the fact that his brother resented him, the fact that uh, his brother thought he was going to kill him at one point, and uh, how his brother didn't want anything to do with Robert Durst. And it talks about when Robert Durst was in prison uh, for a short time, and he made friends with the, the prison inmates, and he says about them, they accomplish stuff on their own. No matter what I'll do, it'll be because I have money. And uh, that says a lot to me, the fact that he just really hated being rich. Like he said, no matter uh, – he can make his own business, do whatever, but people will always say, well, 
he was wealthy when he was younger. He's a millionaire, so it wasn't hard for him. You know, he really just couldn't distance himself from his own family. And I think somebody says at one point in the episode, Robert Durst might be the unluckiest person in the world. Like, think about this, guys. What if Robert Durst is truly innocent of all of these crimes? And he just seriously is the most unlucky person in the entire world that uh, is just thrust into this. And it's just all completely backfired on him. And he's just the biggest schmuck on earth, and yeah. everyone hates him. I mean, there that's a possibility, but you know, not likely at this point. But it's just crazy to think. The we'll move on quickly to the last episode. What the hell did I do? And uh, things sort of start to come together towards the end of episode five when some Susan Berman documents are revealed. Gosh, and I just can't believe that these documents weren't revealed earlier. I just don't buy that they didn't the police haven't had these for a while and that Jarecki is the first person to ever get a hold of this envelope that uh says Beverly Hills on it. I it's just crazy. Yeah. Like I how mean, bad is is our uh our investigators, you know, well, honestly. You know, you 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 have to cut them some some slack on and like I said, I was very I, I think the New York detectives did a, did a very poor job. Uh, so, but I'll, I'll come to the defense of the LA people. Cause I, the LA guys, cause I, there's a lot that goes into bagging and tagging everything that's in a house. And it's, if you don't know exactly what you're looking for and maybe the person who's processing the, the documents and stuff like that doesn't know exactly what we're looking, you know, I, there's a lot of ways that a, an envelope could slip through the cracks when you are, going through the possessions of somebody in a, you know, a four bedroom house or something like that. Like that's, it, it's not great. And I, you're, you're right, Kent, but I, I have a hard time vilifying the, the, the detectives on that because it's, man, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask for, to take all of this stuff and catch this one little thing. That's not really evident so much as it's just, God, these, all these documents, like how much stuff are we going through? And, uh, that's, yeah. that's tough. Yeah. It is rough, and it's just funny that you know pretty much the show is over. They say the that Robert Durst is gone. They couldn't get a hold of him, and they really needed this second interview because they found this other letter that basically was extremely damning evidence that he wrote the letter to the police in the mm-hmm. Susan Berman case, and they took it to a handwriting expert, and the handwriting expert even confirmed these were written by one person and one person only, both of these things. For some odd reason... Durst contacts Jarecki and wants to do another interview and just keeps, like I said, just keeps pulling himself into this situation. Like he must be obsessed with the, like talking about these murders and uh, getting away with it. And he just leaves every interview he does and just fist pumps that um, he's still (laughs) getting away with this. I just, I just can't believe it that he would put himself in this situation. But yeah, uh, but so they get a second interview, and one of the one of the better scenes in the series is them debating on how they're going to ask Robert Durst about this envelope. So they get Robert Durst in in the interview room, and I think, man, hats off to Jarecki here. He handles this the absolute perfect way and asks the questions in the absolute perfect order. The fact that he gets Robert Durst to identify the letterhead beforehand, uh, therefore proving that the letterhead on the uh, Susan Berman letter came from Robert Durst himself and not from some imposter. Yeah. I thought was genius. Uh, They didn't, you know, they didn't talk about that beforehand. I don't know if he came up with that on the cuff, but 
Yeah, they that's, let him. That's ha- almost, they let him hang himself. Perfectly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's almost as incriminating as the handwriting itself. Mm-hmm. And he asks him, "Well, what similarities do you see here?" He goes, "Well, Beverly is spelled wrong in both letters." And he says, "Well, don't you think that's coincidence?" He goes, "Well, block letters are block letters." Does yeah. Robert Durst not know that people have different handwriting? Like. As if uh, it's like a typewriter writing out letters or something. Well, he said um, that. I mean, he says yeah. it's like top. It's a typewriter. Like in his mind, uh, and I don't know if that's a uh, an age thing, but it's you write in block letters or you write in cursive. Like there's no right. Uh, it's a. It's really odd. That was really odd. And uh, the whole crux of the entire series comes down to him looking at both of the letters and saying, "I wrote this one, but I didn't write this one." Jarecki mm-hmm. puts both of them away. Pulls out the uh, the sheet of paper that has both Beverly Hills written on it and says, "Can you tell me which one of these you wrote?" And he says, "No." <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's where he's basically like, "Crap," <laughs> yeah, <he's, laughs> you know. He's, he's screwed at that point. But yeah. it was fascinating to me, especially the second time around, because the first time I, I obviously I'm just I'm tense, I'm focused on the events, and then what comes after that we'll talk about in a second is such a shocker that you you kind of forget some of the other stuff, but. It starts with with like the burping thing. I, yeah. I don't know about you guys, and I want to get into the the psychology of all this in a second. But it felt to me at that moment like something was going to come out of him. Like, yeah, he turned into for 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 a second there. It was like he turned into a different person, and and it was fascinating to me, especially watching the second time to see this like descent into madness that he is, is undergoing. And I don't know exactly how long the last episode was filmed after the previous ones. Cause I know there's a large break between them where he's ignoring them and trying not to get into contact with them and all that sort of stuff. I felt like you could see there were two moments leading up to that last episode where I felt like you could see the total crazy start to come out. And it was in episode three when, uh, we find out that Susan Berman got got murdered, and and Jarecki, Jarecki says something to him, like trying to prod him into like, "Hey, dude, like there's a big event that happens here," and he says, "Oh, yeah, Susan got murdered." Just so matter of factly, yeah, that it was it was shocking to me. And and then the the I think in the fourth episode when they're going through the trial, and he talks about dismembering this guy's body, and. And he's t- he he goes on this long rant about uh, all the tools that Morris had, and it's just you know he had this and this and this, and he says, but I don't think he had a bow saw. And then there's this long pause, and then he he's just like, anyway, I went and bought a bow saw to yeah. cut this guy's body parts off, and it was yeah. that was disturbing to me. But I felt like those were the two moments where where you really saw some of this deep seated crazy starting to 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 boil to the top and in that last interview it seems like all he can do to hold it together no absolutely it's it's crazy to think that um people didn't incriminate him earlier and i mean <laughs> i speak for myself here but saying that i i am not convinced at all i mean this guy is so creepy to me there's not an ounce of like speaking from the heart that I feel uh, about this guy, you know, from the, literally the first moment I laid eyes on him in the first episode, I was like, this guy is super psycho. Like uh, there's a scene or a shot where, 
Um, he's being arrested and he's walking in like prison garb and he just stares like directly into the camera and just the most piercing like stare you've ever seen. And it's like, he's staring into your soul and just like, I mean, this guy just came off extremely creepy to me and he has the, one of the worst poker tells of all time. Like every time he lies about something, he just flinches Mm -hmm. his eyes. And I mean, you got to have one of the worst, I guess, psychoanalysis, uh, investigators of all time to not, I guess, take that into account or, um, look into that more. I, I mean, he felt like, I felt like he was Gollum the entire time. He's just talking yes, to himself yes. and hundred percent couldn't yes. control what he was even saying at some points. I, I 100% agree. And that's to me, <laughs> I almost hate to say this cause he's, but he's got such a great, he's always had such great defense attorneys. I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how any good defense attorney doesn't see this video Listen to the audio that we're going to talk about in a second and say he's schizophrenic and get him right. into a mental institute for the rest of his life. Because if there is a, a – to me – and I don't know what – I know a little bit about psychology. I'm certainly not a, you know, a licensed psychologist or something like that. To me, this is a textbook example of schizophrenia. And I, I thought that yeah. last episode, you see it more and more and more because he's, he's literally – He's talking to himself, and and you're right, Kent. Like it, it reminded me. It really reminded me of Gollum, and and the the back and forth with himself, dual and personalities. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know how a good defense attorney doesn't immediately go that route. Yeah. So uh, we're at, wrapping this whole thing up. Uh, Robert Durst was arrested actually the day of the finale yeah. for for the arrest of Susan Berman. And uh, this is before, of course, all this evidence was uh, given to the American public, at least from the TV standpoint. I just think that the LAPD has to know more than we know about this, had to have been looking into it more throughout this entire time, uh, because there's no way, honestly, that they can convict him from what has been shown. I mean, it'd be pretty easy to, but I don't think the legal system allows for them to watch a TV show and then arrest somebody. You know, there has to be some more evidence out there somewhere that uh, we haven't seen. But, I mean, this is going to be a story that's going to be pretty big uh, over the next couple months, years, as this case unfolds. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see also if they do a follow-up part two of this and try to uh, give us more to the more to the story. But, uh, so, you know, if you've seen the series, uh, you'll probably keep up with it, but it's been it's been incredible to watch and witness and all that, and you know it deserved this conversation, and you know it draws a lot of questions, like I said, about the judicial system, um, but you know, <laughs> I will always say, man, there's nothing like a good documentary, and this yeah. just proves it. It's just there's there's really nothing like the truth. And Absolutely, this is this was a fantastic watch on all. Yeah. All levels. So I'm well, going to grade And the this. final reveal was so okay. good. Like it, it was, was so yeah. great. And and the way that they shot it was was perfect. Um, I don't know how – and look, we, we, we obviously don't have the full audio. So there could, there could definitely be editing tricks and I, I'm guessing that will be the first course of action for his defense attorneys. But assuming that, that, that we'll get uncut audio and he actually says the things he says, which the two things that, that got me were – he says, you know, the, one of the first things he says is he's talking to himself in the bathroom as well. There it is. You're caught. Yeah. Like that's, that's damning. I don't know how you, yeah. I don't know how uh, you get out of that. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, the, the closing line of, you know, 
when he's asking what 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 the hell did I do, and then answers himself in kind of a creepy voice, like killed a little creepier all. than his yeah. yeah, killed them all, of course. Like that's I don't know how you get out of that. Like I think your I think your your luck has run out at this point, dude. He goes, yeah. <laughs> he goes, well, there it is. You're caught. Oh yes. my gosh, what a disaster! Oh, yeah. the burping. <laughs> yeah, he just uh, knew he was screwed and crazy to to see it all unfold. Yeah. But uh, I'm fascinated to see what happens with the with the trial and all that because I I like I said I don't know how his defense doesn't go in and say look he's he's clearly crazy he's clearly schizophrenic put him in a mental institute and he'll tell you where uh, Kathy Durst's body is you know I don't I don't yeah. know how they don't go that route uh, almost immediately I mean I'm sure there's there's processes and and that's that's a last case scenario because you you want to try and, and and get him off obviously if you're the defense but there's I don't see how that can happen, and I don't know how they could not watch that and listen to that and say, "Dude, I mean, this is right. this is as crazy as it gets." We should move on to grades. I'm going to give this an A plus. Freaking love this, and mm-hmm. I hope there's more. Um, you know, but if this sparks like more of these series for yeah. other murders on other networks, completely fine with ripoff Jinx series, <laughs> um, and it probably won't be as good, um, but. You know, I'm super interested in this, and I'd love to see more. So, A plus for me, uh, Richard. Great. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go solid A. Boom, Brian. Uh, a plus for me, and I, I'm with you, Kent. I'd like. I I would. This is something that I think Serial was was a kind of a phenomenon where it's like this shows what what podcasts can be, and it kind of put podcasts on the the map, really, right? For a lot of people. I know, like we've seen a huge spike in our numbers since Serial became such a thing, and I, I'm mm-hmm. assuming that most other uh, podcasts are similar. Uh, this is kind of the same thing. Like we've seen plenty of times how documentaries can be used to uh, bring about justice or change or whatever. Um, so there's lots of examples of that, but this is one of those. It's so relevant and it's so upfront right now, and it's so in your face that that I think. You, it's such a good example of how important documentary filmmaking can be. Exactly. And on that note, I'm going to give my recommend right now and uh, move on to that and say, great documentary on Netflix just was added this week. It was part of my um, uh, my top 10 of the year. I mentioned it. But it's finally available for the, the mass audience to view. Life Itself, the Roger oh, Ebert yes. documentary, is on Netflix finally. Greatness, Roger Ebert, best movie critic uh, of all time, and no debate about that, really. Check it out. Fantastic documentary. It deserves a conversation at a later date, but uh, that's my recommend for this week. So watch it. Send your thoughts in to the show on it and let us know how you liked it. But uh, you guys need to see it, Richard Bryan. Yeah. And um, I know you all will love it, so can't can't wait to talk about it with you um, sometime. So that's my recommend. Brian, what's your recommend? I'm going to recommend a, an album. Uh, I've been listening a lot to – this is a strange album for me to recommend. I'll, I'll be honest with you. And I don't know I don't know if either of you guys will, will be on board for this. Yes, Cisco's. Uh, <laughs> it's just the thong song on repeat. It's, it's, a, it's really no, cool. No, it's the album after the thong song. <laughs> oh, okay, my bad. Slow without yeah. that one on there. Yeah, that, that exists. Um, the all B-sides one. <laughs> all the deep cuts. Uh, yeah. It's – the the artist's name is Sturgill Simpson, and I'm kind of late to the party. Yeah. I know he's been uh, fairly popular of, of late. His uh, the album is called Meta Modern Sounds and Country Music, and yeah. it is 
classic country to the nth degree, like the type of country that does not exist anymore. Uh, and, and also the type of country that I would listen to if it, if it did exist. So, uh, I've, I've been playing, I bought bought the vinyl and, and, uh, have been listening to that a couple times and then I've had it playing in my car and at work. And it's just, it's kind of been on constant repeat. Uh, it is so good. And it's so, it's just such a throwback to, you know, whatever, Johnny Cash and Waylon and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the type of country music that I have a real affinity for that has just kind of been buried by bro country and, uh, and all the, the junk like that. Um, Um, it's heard the, uh, that title's a spinoff. You ever heard the Ray Charles record, the modern sounds of country and Western music? Yes. yes. Fantastic album. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I think I have it sure because that's a great album. Yeah. It's my, one of my favorite albums yeah. of all time, so make sure. Totally. Totally. So this is really good. Uh, it is – like I recommended Jason Isbell a few – I don't know, probably a year ago, and that really might be my favorite record of all time. I'm like really getting to that point where I listen to it constantly, and, uh, and I love it. And I think that's something that would appeal to almost anybody because it's, it's more – a little more folksy than it is country, I guess. Uh, he doesn't have like a massive twang and the, the deep voice and all that sort of stuff. This is really deep country music, and so if you if you just can't if you can't listen to Johnny Cash or Willie or Waylon or any of that stuff, then it's it's probably not going to be for you. But uh, if if you've ever enjoyed that kind of music, man, it's so good, and it's uh, his, his lyrics are really great, and uh, and he's can't you may you may like it, you might give it a try. It's it's a it's much different. I was kind of skeptical about it, and it, it quickly proved to be. Uh, Does he sing about his truck or like his favorite light beer or his girl? No, none of that. And and it's not interesting. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a lot of uh, of stoner references. So uh, just you mean you know, um, keep that in mind. I think you you mean American Treasure Willie Nelson. <laughs> yes, uh, I forgot. Brian, I'm sorry. I, I think you mean American Treasures Florida Georgia Line. Yeah, and Luke Bryan. Pippins, Florida Georgia Line, and Luke Bryan. Uh, Richard, what's your recommend? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I was going to do, um, I was just going to recommend uh, that everyone come see us on Saturday, but uh, I'll, instead I'll recommend, uh, I'll do a record too that uh, I've been listening to a lot. I listened to it when it first came out last year, and then uh, you guys were talking about it via text, so I started listening to it again, and uh, even had it on in my car with Kent the other day. But we'll just do, hey, Download or, or go uh, seek out the uh, new basement tapes. Yes. Um, great super group doing Bob Dylan songs. What else do you need? Fantastic. Yeah. So good. Yeah. yeah. I picked it up last week, uh, the physical copy, and it's been uh, spinning constantly. Love it. And a uh, modern classic. So that's absolutely a recommend. So good recommends. Great music, guys. Mm-hmm. Good documentary. Good documentary we talked about. And of course, uh, we'll see uh, our listeners. At the Alamo Draft House, hopefully. Uh, come say hi. If not, um, we'll just be alone, and we'll do a great <laughs> podcast, I'm sure. But Brian, where can I find you online? You can find me on Twitter at bgill 12 uh, You can find my writing at cambabiesdrinkredbull.com. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden, or you can find my writing at richardbarden.com. Kent, where can I find you? Find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison, and find all of our episodes on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. If you like what you hear... Leave us five stars on i leave us five stars on iTunes, and if you want to keep the show going, you can do so always by donating at our website. And on that note, we'll see you next time at the cinema. Bye. Bye.
Baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salad and scrambled eggs And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do With those tossed salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face They're making me ya ya Your salad is They're calling again. 